Welcome to In the Deep. I'm your host, Catherine Ingram. The following was recorded from a Zoom session of Dharma Dialogues held on April 9th, 2022 in New South Wales, Australia. It's called When Fear is a Friend. I invite you to join us for any of our monthly Zoom sessions, which we'll start up again in May of 22. of a friend who lives on a river, on a grand river in our region. I don't know if you're hearing the lapping of the waves. It's a beautiful, beautiful day. We're in the beginning of fall here in the Southern Hemisphere. And the river is just gently lapping on the shore. This river, a few weeks ago, drowned a nearby town. It was not so gentle. It was raging and it uh, affected everybody, not just on the river, but quite far inland. And I've just been sitting here reflecting on the profound change that this very spot would have been quite scary, very scary just a few weeks ago. Almost everyone around here had to be evacuated and many people had to be, had to walk out in waist deep water through all kinds of muck. Some people had to get rescued by helicopters. It's it's a huge drama in our region and there are a lot of now homeless people who used to own homes and who can't go back to those homes. But I'm sitting on this river, (laughs) I'm sitting right next to this very river at this moment, and you have to look at it and say, gosh, it could hardly be more beautiful. This wide, massive river on the other side of which is a forest that I'm looking at. And uh, reflecting on all things pass, because in these days also, in the last uh, few weeks, My mother is in hospice at home in Florida with bone cancer. And that's on my mind, of course, on my mind, in my heart, in my waking hours. So much, uh, so much change, so much reflection on what are the priorities uh, of this world, of this life. I've been feeling into just what one might call the heart priorities, which we talk about in Dharma circles and have for so long. And yet sometimes at certain moments, the truth of them enters your being in a deeper level. We do know generally our Dharma club knows how important it is to forgive and to be generous of heart and to make one's words and actions commensurate with kindness. All those things we we seem to know. And yet there are times when we know them in deeper places. You know, you get clear on what 
matters here, right? Does your stuff matter? I've watched so many people who've, you know, lost, you know, not just their their furnishings and all that kind of stuff, but like their journals that they've been keeping for years and photographs and all the mementos of a lifetime, those kinds of things. What matters, actually? <laughs> it starts to get incredibly simple. One feels grateful for what's here. To what degree you do have good health, that's huge. To what degree you do have the people you love around you, to what degree you do have shelter, whatever it is, whatever it is. And peace, you know, that we, in our countries, we still live in relative peace, not officially at war on our own land yet. You really find yourself just flat up against the most fundamental elements of life. So, as I have said so many times, when turns to gratitude and it has been very profound for me of late I've been I've been feeling so much gratitude and I've been fortunately witnessing so much compassion and generosity in the region in which I'm living uh, throughout the community that's been a real encouragement <laughs> to see, real blessing to see. Sometimes we look at the world and we think, wow, it is dark out there. We look at the news, it's scary. That's mostly what gets reported, but it's not as if it's just being made up out of whole cloth. We do see the images around the world. And we can forget or overlook or, or just be distracted from the fact that there's a lot of goodwill, a lot of mercy, a lot of very cool responses to those in need, those who are suffering. all kinds of guys, anybody who had any tiny little boat, they call them tinnies here. They're like little tin boats. They were out, anyone who had boats, they were out on these, these, this raging river rescuing people and rescuing pets. A lot of times people had to flee and couldn't take their pets. And so there were people who were out looking for houses where there might be a pet still trapped and risking in a way their own lives it's really been an amazing thing and that wouldn't have been something you guys probably heard about where you live there's been a lot of other news you're hearing about 
And this goes on and on throughout the world. Just like today, this river is very peaceful, just lapping at the shores. And it was a storming, scary, ragey river not so long ago and will be again, most likely. This is the way of things. Some days it's peaceful and lapping. Some days it's raging. How we use our attention, how we frame whatever we're experiencing, right? Whatever we're experiencing, how we frame it, how we interpret it, how we comment on it is determining our experience of it. Well, thank you for the update. I I have been hearing about the floods and I'm really glad to know you're safe and to hear all the, the good and kindness and compassion that's coming out of that climate tragedy. And I'm really grateful to be here. I have been missing you. When you came on and started speaking, I just felt all awash, like I was getting the hug that I needed today. Mm. I just uh, taught a two and a half hour introduction to mindfulness, first session class, all about attention and came down and was doing some stuff downstairs. And there was a knock on my door and I live very remotely quarter mile off the road. Nobody ever comes down here. And there were two teenage boys on my porch and they asked if they could walk around and hunt antlers. And I, I don't know who they were. I'd never seen them before. And I smiled Mm -hmm. and said, no. And they're like, okay, thank you. And turned around and the, there was a younger one and an older one. They, They drove away in a big white truck. They peeled out spewing gravel as they left. And I just thought they're mad, you know, because I don't know who peels out spewing gravel if they're not pissed off. Yes. How (laughs) I found all these reactions coming up, all this protective meanness and mine and it was just a direct contrast to what I had just been teaching my new students. (laughs) (laughs) And so I had to laugh at the irony and really try to talk myself down from this urgent anxiety. I, I live in a place where we don't have to lock our doors, where nobody comes down private driveways. And I felt really violated and anxious and What if they're mad and they decide to come back and break something or worse? And I'm really missing my big dogs. I haven't gotten a dog yet since the fall. And I spent almost 30 years here shedding the anxiety that I brought with me about human beings and their capacities. And I haven't felt this level of anxiety for probably a decade because Mm -hmm. there hasn't been a trigger. And now there's a trigger and I'm grateful for mindfulness to help me cope with the trigger. But it's, you know, it's just this raw place that 30 years of healing just ripped right open. 
and probably they're harmless little kids and they're just going to go bang on the next door, although they didn't. I checked with that neighbor. It, it's just unsettling and it's good to, to remember that all humans are not monsters. <laughs> right. But they're not all angels either. So I'm going to go in a direction you might not have expected. Did you ever hear of the book, The Gift of Fear? No. It was a huge bestseller. It's written by a guy named Gavin De Becker. Mm-hmm. It's probably 25, I'm going to guess, 25 years old. The premise of the book is that when you get those sort of spidey feelings or a sense of a, a hint of danger, it's really good to listen to it, as it turns out. Now, that would not uh, presume that you should be in a state of paranoia all the time, but that sometimes your radar is going off. And one of the things he cautions against is using some kind of political correctness or some kind of analysis that tries to transcend those feelings and suppress them and ignore them. But he has, he's a world expert on security and he's the advisor to presidents and kings and Oprah and everybody you can think of, all the highest level celebrities. Those are his clients. He's had a phenomenally successful company for many, many years. And he's also heard from and worked with many, many people who were victims of various crimes. And one of the things over and over and over again, he, he heard from those people was, I had a sense and I ignored it, or I felt I was being prejudiced or this or that. They overrode their instincts. So I'm not telling you in this case that you should be worried But I am saying I don't necessarily also think that you should override your sense about these characters, right? Because it is an odd thing that they did. And it is, and the the way that they responded and peeling out and so on did, did indicate. And if they are around teenage, yeah. One was, looked like about... 11 or 12, but the other one was clearly a teenager and was driving. Uh Yeah. Yeah. So as, as it happens, I met Gavin Becker years ago. Um, And here's the context. I was at a dinner party in Los Angeles and it was at a time when um, I was due to, I was, I was due to be going to London to, do a series uh, of sessions, but I had a stalker in London, someone who had formerly been a volunteer at my events years before and had begun stalking me by uh, letter and email and every possible way in those days and so on. And he was very triggered by the fact that I was coming to London and he was, he was really uh, acting up. And I was having to organize bodyguards and all kinds of shenanigans just to go there. I had 
a whole team of people because lots of people knew who he was because he went to a lot of satsang events. So I had to have people who were going to be at the door and so on. Anyway, oddly, in the lead up to this London trip, and I'm very apprehensive about it, I find myself at a dinner with Gavin De Becker. But politeness dictates that you can't just be using that circumstance to get a private session with someone like him. But as it happened, he and I left at the same time and were walking down the street pretty much at the exact same time. He was going to his car, me to mine. And I thought, okay, here's my moment. And I said, do you mind if I ask you a quick question? And, and he was so lovely and gracious. And I told him the situation. And as in as brief a way as I could, pretty much just like I told you, there's more to it. Um, but he said, well, you already know the answer. And he said, you know the answer. The answer's in your body. You know it. And as soon as he said that, I knew, of course, of course I know the answer. I shouldn't go. And I, and I said that. I said to him, yeah, I shouldn't go. And he said, what's the consequence of not going? And I said, it, I'll lose a lot of money. It'll be a lot of uh, organizing that has to be undone. A lot of people who've been involved and so on. Changes of plans, basically. And, you know, he just shrugged like that's really not that big a deal. So, yeah, I, I stopped going to London to teach. I didn't go again for 20 years. In any case, that's that story of listening to my own radar. And because I was overriding it with all kinds of Dharma stories and also a kind of, I guess, feminist psychology that was saying I'm not going to be bullied out of, out of fear as a woman, and I'm not going to let this person bully me in my life and shut down my life. But at what cost would have all of that been? That would have been pretty cold comfort to have won that, that particular piece. <laughs> so um, that's, that's just, as you were speaking, that's what came to say. And of course, there are times when we want to not indulge paranoia that is just pure imagination, big what-if stories about the future and this and that. You know, one wants to be judicious about how much of that you pay attention to. But also, there are times when, as he says, fear is a gift. It's there for a reason. There are definitely times. Yeah, thank you. I already shut the de- the lower gate. When um, we're done here, I'll drive up and shut the top gate. Yeah, thanks for that, um, allowing me to trust myself, my body. Yes. yes. And I know how much you loved your dog. Yeah, maybe get a dog. It's time. I'm open to the universe. I'm telling the universe I'm yes. ready. I'm waiting for the dog to show up. Maybe I need to get a little more proactive and get a bigger one than I was thinking. Yeah. And maybe this is that gift also. Yeah. That basically says, okay, I wanted, you wanted a dog, yeah. right? And yeah. Yeah. That was about the second thing I thought is I need to get those dogs now, a dog or dogs now. Mm-hmm. So yeah. 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 Thank you so much, Catherine. It's just so good to be with you and be with everyone here again.
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so nice to be here. It's it's been um it's been an interesting stretch. Just just diving into different facets of things that I hadn't really encountered, I guess, on the sort of Dharma end of the the spectrum. There's been sort of waves of intensity on on that front. You know, have a one foot in the Dharma firmly planted there, but but it's been lately sometimes just. Uh, almost an overwhelming experience at times and in waves, not in an unpleasant sense, but just in a really strong, just the the, the amplitude has been pretty, pretty intense at times. And, and one thing that was sort of new to me was, was um, what it's like to be in conflict and not, not be in conflict <laughs> because there's all, there's, there's always, I've always sort of had a propensity to, I guess, self-regulate. You know, in the sense that I'm not a gonna very fiery character. Mm-hmm. Um, You're not gonna blow up. Yeah, very unusual for me. But there's usually a kind of inner landscape that's that's you know, guy, guy I'm, I'm damn it, I'm right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a sort of you know conviction of my own or whatever the the conflict, you know. And so what was well, I guess what was new to me was not just the degree to which that just was was really not arising, but the the way that that sometimes can feel almost provocative um, to the to somebody you're with who may be in feelings, you know that there's this sense of not not being confrontational, but but actually just not reactive, and that that was sort of new to me to to realize that gosh, like that can really bring out an intensity of, of feelings and, you know, whoever happens to be needing a sparring partner. If I'm. So I, I, I'm wondering like specifically what, give an example if you can. Oh yeah. Say. I'm trying to like my um, girlfriend's dance. <laughs> so I'm trying to, uh-huh. <laughs> hey, but it's more, it's more fun if you actually talk about what was really going on yeah i mean it's we, well, we, you don't have to be too personal but just as yeah. just any old example as to how that yeah works. just just in in you know so we went through this sort of stretch of you know where i was just sort of in the deep waters for whatever reason and um and there was some real interpersonal conflict between us coming up mm-hmm. and um what i noticed was like you know, for me, there was a sense of just being kind of quietly and and it what it felt like internally, compassionately, mm-hmm. ready and available to connect um, and just be present. And I guess, you know, I went through, I don't want to commandeer too much of this group's time, so I'll try to be sort of succinct about it. But I did sort of, I had unfortunately friends and therapy sessions, so I got to really like hash through it and it seemed like there was almost two different lenses that were really helpful. Um, and one was the sort of what I was calling like the therapeutic lens, which is like, you know, how do we meet in the middle, so to speak? You know, what are the real core issues and why are we triggered and all that? And then there was this sort of dharmic level where there was no issue. There was nothing, nothing. Yeah. Like there was never anything to worry about. Mm-hmm. The hurt and the intensity of the hurt on some level is just manufactured and so there was a little bit of that sense of like boy i want to be here for this person you know i want to connect i want to meet them where they're at and, and and engage on that level but 
there was also a sort of just just strong disinterest, I guess, you know, like a real like just a, such a deep peace that it almost felt challenging to, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, kind of give life to those thoughts and, and that sort of frame of reference. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think one of the challenges in a way in life is to understand that not everyone can meet you where you hang out, especially if you hang out in deep water. In fact, few can meet you there. And therefore, it gets lonely. And sometimes there's an expectation, especially with those close to us with whom we've chosen to engage in a much more ongoing or consistent way. There's a yearning, really, to be met in the deeper places. And sometimes a frustration that you might feel, and this is in no way to be disdainful, but that you might feel that you're having to hang out on their level where there's common ground, but they really can't quite hang out at your level. That's the way of this. That's, that's one of the things about the deepening process. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I'm watching it with my mother, frankly. Yeah. Um, even with death at the door. Mm. And I've seen this enough in life to know that that is a, uh, an expectation that sometimes one might have that doesn't turn out to be necessarily so. We tend to die as we lived. And it's, it does make the case for the value of a Dharma life. As my teachers used to say, it's good at the beginning, good in the middle, and good at the end. You know, and you really want to have that habit of of freedom and of letting go and of of sitting in the deeper waters. But one of the things that does come with that is, I shouldn't say loneliness necessarily, although it it might seem that way sometimes, but there is an aloneness and it's, it's the value of having these kinds of conversations. Just well, your, like your email popped into my inbox, right? <laughs> you. And it's nice to look at these faces and, you know, know that, okay, we're all here. To, this is what we're here yeah. for. You know? Yeah, yeah. We're, we're allowed to be in the deep water. And that's the frequency on which we're going to meet. Because otherwise, it's just chit-chat. It's yeah. chit-chat out there. And, and one can't blame people for their level of consciousness. You can't blame them or expect anything more, really. Right. And it's an odd contrast, the sense of sort of compassion that comes with the quiet. And then also, you know, you're, it's, it's, it's witnessing, you know, what feels like optional suffering, you know, from one perspective. Sure. And so right, like, but, but actually it isn't, just as you in previous times, yeah. in times when you were more ignorant and had to suffer your ignorance and your ignorant actions, right? Suffered good, That's still do. <laughs> still do, yeah, yeah. But this whole thing about the, the disparity between where you might be hanging out as a matter of course, as a matter of habit, and where other people hang out as a matter of habit it can be at times they can feel quite alone yeah i'm having a memory 
<laughs> Many years ago in the 80s, I had a, a dog. I had a, a yellow lab named Max. My then boyfriend and I got, got Max together and we, he was our puppy and then our dog together. And when I left the boyfriend, I had to also leave Max because Max had grown up on this 13 acre farm and I was moving into a very small place in a more urban place and I couldn't take him away from his, you know, wonderful life. So that was a big heartbreak. But anyway, while while I was Max's uh, caretaker, there was a day when my boyfriend was away or something and someone had given me some psilocybin mushrooms. Um, and back in the day, you know, going back a long time ago, uh, I mean, I was an old hippie. I experimented all through the late 60s, 70s, and even a little bit into the 80s on any mind-expanding substances that I could get hold of, though not an overuse of them at all. I always did them in a kind of ritualized way. But I decided one day there alone that I was going to have, I was going to take these psilocybin mushrooms and I was going to commune with Max. I was going to really tune in like, like in some kind of shamanistic way. I was going to go into dog consciousness and he was going to go into my, I don't know what I was thinking. Anyway, very quickly into this psilocybin trip, <laughs> the words came to me, he's just a dog. <laughs> <laughs> dog i mean it was clear that <laughs> that whatever it was i was hoping in terms of the communion and it didn't mean that i'd loved him less of course not you know but the depth was <laughs> the depth was missing yes you know he remained a dog <laughs> and it was there was some way in which i understood something about nature and about each of our natures and about each of our levels of evolutionary intelligence and depth and, and sophistication and all of those things. Dharma, some people have incredible Dharma sophistication, like just take your breath away. Beautiful. Right. Yeah. But they might not be sophisticated in almost any other realm or maybe just a few. And some people have incredible sophistication in other ways like uh, different types of intelligence worldly intelligence or whatever their talent is right whatever their thing is they might have impeccable but they may not have dharma sophistication or wisdom or that level of seeing in those places where it's really wordless and we're saying a lot of words but it's actually wordless but that you understand when you're with those people, as we so often do in retreat, you're with these silent beings, but you just feel more connected than ever. That you can just feel that you're that you're hanging out on this vibratory, this subtle vibratory essence. And that that is it's been a lifelong love that's for me the most sophisticated people have their own opinions about this but that's always been the one that i have responded to and and tend to surround myself uh with those types that that's who i feel comfortable with uh, of any of all ages of all 
types, of all races, of all colors, of all nationalities. There, that that's I can I, I can sense them. I know them quickly. Mm. So, that all said, we do live in a varied world, and we have to, in order to negotiate it and to not drive ourselves crazy and to not feel so isolated, we do do our best to meet people wherever they're hanging out and however they can meet us. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's extraordinary that to, to have such an experience and such a life in the Dharma and to frame it in the context of a real a hierarchy and to put it in, in sort of a, you know, well, you know, <laughs> you good, maybe good at the Dharma, but maybe not good at cooking. You know, it's, it's, such yeah. a, it's a, that's a lot of, I don't know if I'm being honest, I, I probably impose a much greater hierarchy uh, on, on that, you know, not just resonate with it personally, but it, it's, it's sort of the one ring to unite them all. So I guess another frame instead of hierarchy would, sim- would simply just be preference. Like uh, going back to Max, the dog. Like I said, I didn't, uh, I didn't love him any less. I, I, I adored him for exactly as he was the dog that he was. You know, he's long. Well, dead. I guess, I guess as you go deeper in, there's just yeah. less distinction too. Yeah. Between yes. self and yeah. other. Sort of That's true. Yeah. There, there's there's it, less distinction fundamentally in that you just see creature to creature. Here's a creature, whether it's a water dragon that we just saw a little while ago here, or uh, you know, or a Dalai Lama or whoever, that you see that each of the creatures has its nature, has its own levels of intelligence, of its own, its own talents, its own Dharma affinity or not. I do prefer Dharma affinity. Uh, I do prefer to hang out with that crowd. It just suits my character, my nature. Not to be too woo about it, but it becomes all self. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so there's a sort of personal preference and then also like, I guess that's where you can be like, well, do I want self that likes cooking or self that likes Dharma? Like, yes, that's right. Exactly. That's a good way to see it. Yeah. And Punjaji used to say self onto self, like everything you're meeting, just self onto self. Yeah. Thank you for the invitation. (laughs) Thank you collectively for letting me come into your your, uh, time. Oh, yeah. Well, this is what we're here for. Have a conversation, my dear. (laughs) So great to see you. It's so good to be with you and with everyone here. And thank you so much for the invite. And um, I was just actually sitting in my park uh, a little while ago. And I was listening to the last uh, session that you posted, uh, your Australia session. And wow, you know, it, it just, I was so, uh, I just, I'm so grateful for you and, and, and how you're able to express what's really going on with you. And, and I can so relate, you know, to, yeah, I mean, I just can't keep up with the changes and what's going on right now. It's just, it's just, um, I just feel like we're just being like battered by, by the, by the ocean and we're just these rocks you know it just feels yeah. like it's just one thing after another we don't know what's coming absolutely i know i think one of the things that uh, has been part of my realization in uh, this phase 
is that you know there there's there was some sense in the last couple of years that oh maybe things will calm down or maybe you know we just have to get through this next thing and then it'll calm down and and i think that can also be a part of a torment to be waiting for some other time to come that looks more like the time that has been our past i think it might be good for us to just get used to this flow whether it's the rapids or the, you know just be grateful for the times when the river is just lapping at the shore just to really seize those moments and live them and i've talked about it many times but most much of history that we know of the recorded history we know of and and however much of it we can believe was turbulent it was just so turbulent i mean it was turbulent even if there wasn't a local war because people died so easily people died young all the time and just you were at risk all the time like if an infection could kill you or just all the diseases and in addition to the danger of the other humans of the other tribes and and so on so it it was always risky business and so what's different for us is we were so used to kind of cruising along just i mean we've spent much of our lives just kind of figuring out what we wanted to do next you know like where what what trip are we going to take next um you know what thing do we want to study next you know what retreat do we want to go on all of the that's how we've been spending our time for a long time and now we're faced with it's much harder to make plans it's and to think that they're going to come to be and we're just seeing everything can get just thrown upside down in a moment so i'm just like i said i just keep falling into gratitude like okay this is a good day yeah 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 and and i'm just give thanks for for this and and this moment that we have together really yeah. Yeah. yes me too me yeah. too yeah beautiful thank you <laughs> Well, so um, death, fear, ah. confusion, yeah, loathing, anger. Mm. Well, there's love there too. But you know, I'm 75 now. How'd uh, that happen? Yeah, well, that's exactly the phenomena. Is how did that happen, and why is there still this feeling that I'm actually not 75? Yes. That I'm still the same as I always was. No. <laughs> no, no. I try to lift 100 pounds and I realize that I'm not the same as I ever was, but still in my mind, time. No, I keep, I keep waiting to be a grown up. And like I see other people who appear to be <laughs> grown ups. <laughs> you hit the nail. <laughs> they're like 20 years younger than I am. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Aren't I supposed to be wise by now? <laughs> well, I've uh, I've been considering death mm -hmm. quite a bit. 
you know, maybe in the last five or 10 years. And I realized that when I was born, I came from somewhere, but I don't know where. And I realized that when I'm passed on, then I'm probably going to end up where I began, which is somewhere that can't be described. But let me jump in here. Because this I that you refer to, that you think was somewhere before and might be somewhere after the same, what is that? Well, that's the eternal present, I guess, huh? Yeah. Infinity itself. Maybe, yeah. The genesis of all things. Yeah, I like that better. (laughs) (laughs) I've been spending quite a bit of time in Ukraine lately, following the Ukrainian debacle pretty much since the beginning. Can I jump in here again? Um, Uh Oh. Well, it's just better on on Dharma sessions. I mean, we're all inundated with politics and the war stories and people have different sides, different opinions. I know that sometimes we make assumptions that everyone's going to be on the same page, but I think that that isn't always the case. And I just would love to contain this conversation since it's such a rare experience to have a a place where we just really rest in the eternities and not get caught in the skirmishes of the day, of which we know very little in terms of no matter how much one is reading or seeing, every single thing we're seeing is being filtered. And so I just prefer to stick with what we know and love and are here for in this conversation. And when I say the eternities, of course, I don't mean something about a long time, but I mean the eternal subjects that have concerned spiritually inclined people for a long, long time. The things that matter, the matters of the heart and how we use our attention. So is your mind occupied with things like you said about death and you've been it's been quite prominent for you for the last five or ten years i would say for myself i think it's partly what attracted to me to buddhism in the early days was just the keen awareness of suffering and death although i was young and i it, it when you're young it's very hard for you to feel it as quite as close as it feels now but it was always a theme in my mind of like, gosh, this is all just going to lead to being gone one day. Um, like all of this hubbub we're going through, it's just going to be, you know, the end at some point. And that my early Buddhist teachers always enjoined us to see that as an ally, to have death as, as your ally, as Castaneda used to say. I guess what I'm coming to is, in your reflections and in your being 75 years old, are you finding a friendliness with the idea of death? Well, that's what I'm looking for is being relaxed around the uh, manifestation of what intrinsically is fearful. 
the unknown. Yeah. And so, yeah, I commune with nature quite a bit. Yeah. And that gives me some peace. Yes. Yes. Me too. Me too. I, I, I love the sense, the kind of merciful glimpse one gets sometimes where one's identification really does merge with the new buds and you realize, okay, even though this will turn into a carcass, but there's all these new buds always happening. And, you know, that that becomes more and more that merger of identity where you feel much, much less interested in the I personal story. Like you really just see it in context. You know, you're here for a blink in time and all the sturm und drang and, uh, and big story and dramas and, you know, it, it all just so quickly fades in importance. And, and you do find yourself feeling really at one with much more the natural world. And even the unnatural world, so-called, I mean, I've also been training my awareness to not feel so much revulsion at the products of man, the production of man, because that's a big dead end. <laughs> and, you know, you're just in battle. I don't necessarily have to see any of that as beautiful, but to at least not have this kind of tragic sense of total destruction and horror and ugliness to cities and big developments and all those things, they're happening. And at some point, I think part of the process of accepting death is also accepting just the what is of everything. Like I said, we don't have to necessarily like it, but to just be in battle with it is just exhausting. And and you don't win, you know, you just you just die kind of angry about it all. This has been In the Deep. You can find the entire list of In the Deep podcasts at katherineingram.com where you can also book a private phone session and view upcoming events, such as our monthly Zoom sessions. I want to deeply thank our donors for your support and encourage our other regular listeners to consider making either a one-time or a recurring donation. We would also be grateful for a review on Apple Podcasts or on whatever platform you're listening. Till next time. <laughs>